Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, and join me every fortnight as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers. Together, we can explore the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. And our wonderful person this week is once again Jenny Ford. This is the second part of our conversation recorded in October of 2023. In this episode, we're going to talk about the tiny homes community in Bristol. We're going to talk about how that's fed into thinking about material stores in terms of how we reuse materials. We talk about the Factory X project that Jenny is spearheading. There's meanwhile projects. There's inspiring projects. It's a wide ranging conversation. It's a great one. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So before we get into the podcast, there's a little bit of news. First of all, for anyone who listened to the entire of the Dave Cockcroft episode, hidden at the end there was a secret little spoon giveaway, uh, the first spoon that was carved in the Nettlecombe Craft School. All you had to do was put a comment on an Instagram post, and I am going to choose a random number. It's number 18, who is Ken Neshim. Uh, well done, Ken. Uh, I will send you a message on Instagram and you'll be getting that spoon. I hope you enjoy it. Speaking of the Netscombe Craft School, tomorrow when this podcast launches, we will be starting a competition. You can win yourself a free day course at the Netscombe Craft School. Or if you want to come on a multi-day course, we'll knock half of a two-day course or a third of a three-day course. And not just that, uh, we'll throw in camping as well. We will cook you dinner over the fire and we can sit around the fire and have a pleasant evening together. Hopefully that's a thing you want to win. If you do want to win that, head on over to the Nettlecombe Craft School Instagram. I'll stick a link in the show notes. There'll be a post there and you just need to follow the instructions. Um, speaking of the spoons, normally at this point, I would say all the new patrons who support this podcast. Uh, this week, there have been none. So, uh... <laughs> So if you would like to fill this awkward little void in the next episode, get your name read out on the podcast. Feel good for supporting the podcast. Uh, potentially get yourself a spoon if you want to go for the higher level of support. Then, yeah, that would be super great and so, so appreciated. Just recently, I have been driving around the country, bagging interviews here, there and everywhere, trying to build up a bank of podcasts so that during the next few months, which are going to be very busy for me, there will be no break in episodes being released. Um, what I have realised is that driving around the country is actually really quite expensive. Uh, so <laughs> if you do appreciate that and you want to support the podcast, then please head on over to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability and you don't just get to support the podcast you also get loads of bonus content there is actually 20 minutes of bonus chat from this conversation with jenny where we talk about hemp we talk about retrofits uh, particularly the blogs that go with them we talk about the rsa we talk about strokeable lime plastered walls there's some interesting and useful bits what else is on there as a bonus there's a whole episode with will stanix uh, a episode with Flo Hamer, the tiny house builder. I just put up a whole conversation all about Cobb and various other little snippets and segments that didn't quite make it into the full release podcast. So 
Currently, there's well over 10 hours of extra bonus stuff there to say thank you for your cash. Okay, I think that's all from me. We start this episode by talking straight about the tiny homes community in Bristol. And you might notice a little tiny trickling noise in the background that I didn't realise until the very end of the conversation was there. I believe it was a little cat drinking fountain. Hopefully you see it as some kind of biophilia inducing happiness receptacle rather than uh, just needing a wee. Okay, I am back at the end. This episode is super heavy on links. You can find all of those links in the show notes, uh, things we've talked about. Um, So make sure you click through and find out more about all of the really interesting stuff. Okay, here is Jenny Ford. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, like we were talking about how you describe yourself mm. um, and what you do. Often when you describe projects, um, you want to tell someone about the vision for it. And that's where things get really large. And like, mm. I don't, yeah, I can see myself fitting into this, but I don't quite see where. Um, and then obviously there are like smaller elements where you're like, okay yeah that that I understand that and I can take that role um, Mm -hmm. and for this period of time or whatever so it happened that when I met Rachel we were doing a um there was a tour of Merry Hill in Lockleys um which was um one of the community land trust projects um that they kicked off and um I think we were just walking down the slope sort of near each other and she was like are you Jenny (laughs) Sure. And like we just heard of each other, you know, we kind of knew what each other were up to, um, which I find endlessly flattering. It's amazing when people know what you're up to, isn't it? Um, and yeah, we kind of like just had a bit of a chat and then she said she'd be interested to talk to me more about um, a current project. So I guess at that point they had this seamill site. Mm. And so that similarly to um, 
what the what the snug was involved with the the city council in bristol has been um trying to match self-build demand so they have the self-build register and people register demand and then they kind of need to make available equivalent amounts of land um but it doesn't need to go to the people on the list per se Mm -hmm. um and so different community-led housing projects or community groups get together and they will write a bid for one of these pockets of land and sea mills in there was this kind of um two sites that were opposite sides of a road um, it used to be a construction training centre. And so one of the sites is more complex because that's where they carried out the training and the other one was classrooms. Um, I believe it was classrooms. And essentially they they put a proposal together for that site um, for the tiny homes community. So I, it's that bit where you're describing what this community is and what a tiny home sort of approach means, which is not, you know, just talking about little tiny residencies it's about a community way of living having enough um stuff so you've got your personal dwelling space and you can operate in a comfortable way for all your kind of personal time that you need and you can be by yourself but then you also have these kind of shared facilities um and live yeah with with that community Mm -hmm. um and the opportunity then that represents to have you know, so you don't have to have a spare room. You can have a shared space that everybody has a sort of can offer as a spare room to a relative or a mm-hmm. friend that they've got staying, which is such a beautiful thing. So you don't need to buy a house that's got three bedrooms just because occasionally your parents come to stay. Yeah. You know, uh, which I really like that this idea and as kind of like explained more and more of the sort of concept of, of that approach. Um, I found really exciting and the other element was that she'd heard that I was interested in the circular economy approach and interested in well materials in mind is the name of my company so you know uh, that that, that's what I'm interested in um, is how we think about them how we kind of like explore what materials we have around us already to use and then what materials we might bring into a project so that was exactly where they were at that moment um, and so it was just a sort of serendipitous meeting, mm-hmm. um, which I seem to have such a lot of. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's such a nice thing. Um, and again, I think that's like the more you chat about what you're interested in mm. or what you believe in, what you're passionate about, um, the more, you know, other people do that. And then those kind of conversations just sort of like find one another. Um, and so, yeah, they wanted to explore. Um, they, so they had a quantity surveyor in place and that was also really great because alan northern um who is the qs um is working with the um i struck t um and the um to like basically low carbon delivery and, and impact reporting mm-hmm. um and they had an event really recently as well um actually the same day as the reuse summit so i had to go to the reuse summit <laughs> um but yeah essentially like he's really interested in um how we report on those materials um and yeah how we reduce the kind of distances that we're transporting them so if it was um materials that we had to get rid of because we couldn't use them because there's contamination etc like how we quantify them on site and then how we find a person locally who's able to manage those materials in the best possible way um and then me and Rachel are discussing you know, how we're going to transport them, who whose responsibilities it, or how do we make sure that it's you know like 
a, a good transportation method? Um, and does it really need to go? Can they be treated on site potentially? So just opening up the thinking a little bit. Um, and then with the existing buildings, there'd already been about a bit of a discussion about whether they could be retained, whether they would suit the project um, and not really just because of the way they're configured mm -hmm. on the site and the amount of site that they take up, their sort of orientation on the site didn't really work. Um, but there's definitely elements of them, like the, the slabs, do the slabs need to come out? Actually, the bricks are like older bricks. Nice. Um, so yeah, we can definitely like reuse a lot of that. Um, and then the conversation sort of shifted into... Well, we've got quite constrained sites here. They're quite small. And if we're trying to do landscaping, you know, there's there are other consultants. There's permaculture consultant. There's, you know, building consultant. We've got the quantities fair and engineers and myself. And we've all kind of come together and come apart and come back together to think about the, the challenges with um, wanting to work in a particular way, wanting to retain as much as possible. Um, and actually what the crux of the matter is is that although we want to retain materials they will a lot of them will need to come off site right so that then raises the question of where do they go how do they stay as local as possible so that we can do what we need to do to those materials store them for as long as we need to store them and then bring them back to site um so you know do we invest in a little tiny electric vehicle where we can you know transport them down the road um and that then led to conversations with the council about what the availability of, of buildings is, like mm. what stock do they have that we could potentially use? And it's such a challenging conversation. Um, but it really is, for me, um, exciting that the Tiny House wanted to pursue this and, and a really, um, you know, uh, proactive in pursuing this conversation with the council. So it's not, not just... Um, me kind of like having a, a vision of like what I think is needed to support circular activity. Here's an actual example of mm -hmm. a community with a project that is, you know, in motion, um, that has a real example of materials that need to go, but are totally reusable on that project. And how does the council facilitate? Because they've already facilitated the land side of things. Mm. You know, they, they're invested in this, right? So... How do they then facilitate that storage need? Um, and that really just kind of like fits in with with my kind of like broader goal, which is the Factory X project. Um, but the other things that Tiny House is, is asking for and that is really helping me to think about what, um, I guess, like what my business is offering Um and, you know, like I was talking about my role as a consultant and like trying to, you know, like you're constantly trying to like feel out what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, having now defined that I am a circular economy practitioner and consultant, um, what does that mean I offer? You know, whereas before I might have gone, I can support you in researching materials and, and procurement. I can help you interrogate supply chain or I can help you write supply chain questionnaires, you know, that it, it could be as broad as anything and I do site management site waste management plans and on all sorts um which I can still do but it really feels that actually what tiny house are after um and what we've kind of come out of the initial consultancy period is um taking the sort of um re-london circular economy statement and creating one that is 
suitable for a small project mm. and building Bristol's first circular economy statement and a methodology for reporting against it. Um, and that's as a co-piece of work between materials and mine, tiny house community Bristol, like feels like such a nice output to have when we've done it. Um, <laughs> the output we will have um, because it's a really demonstrable piece that we can show the council we can show other small building companies how we did it and mm -hmm. how like with you know limited resources limited budget to put towards it actually how it helped shape and guide the project and wasn't that much additional work it mm -hmm. was just a different way of framing it yeah fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it'll show that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and i think like then that covers things like the detailed material audits. It it enables that um, continued discussion with the council um, and it explores that piece around like the necessity of storage mm. to facilitate this activity. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not just us who's going to be asking for it. And I feel like the more we talk more openly about what we're trying to do, the more other people will realize that they have you know storage problems on site mm. that they are throwing away lots and lots of reusable materials um we're seeing adverts all over the place um you know anywhere from like the acan chat of people who've just done like a bit of home renovation have got some hemp bats to spare um to you know other new build projects around the city where you see like kind of a listing or you see a skip full of particular materials and you're like well if only we had a place to put them mm. we could have found a way to use them on the project because the other thing with tiny houses is that they're really open to being um, having a, an adaptable design. So creating a, um, a planning document that shows the building methodology but has a way to keep the... Um, and this is a really interesting thing with circular economy and, and materials, secondary materials market, is that we need to create a way... For projects to say this is what we're going to build and achieve but our materials palette needs to be flexible because we don't know exactly what materials are going to be available mm. but we want our materials to be you know this percentage secondary materials um, and so if we need to change insulation type we will do that and if we need to change you know cladding type mm -hmm. we need to have the flexibility um, to do that and I think that's where yeah um sort of moving towards that more factory X conversation, the when we're talking about circular economy, it's really got to be a piece that, you know, policymakers, planners, um, construction developers, builders and clients and the general public have all got to be part of that conversation. So I mean you've said the the term factory X a few times now. What are you talking about? <laughs> um yeah. Cool. It's it's um, something that's been on my mind for a really long time. It feels like um, when when I was writing my dissertation, I just really recognised that um, I wanted to look at ways because I'm from sort of workshoppy background. Um, you know, when I moved to Bristol, I worked in a foundry, and the foundry was in a in a, in a small industrial area full of different workshops. I've always had like a studio, um, which has generally been in a sort cluster of workshops mm -hmm. um and i'm seeing a sort of decline in those um and so sort of responding to that 
and then responding to this thing around you know just endless amounts of like waste and offcuts and material potentials that are like you know basically flowing out of our city we buy mm-hmm. them all in and then they all flow out um like i was interested in, in kind of how i could connect those things and then the more experience i had working with you know snug um and then a lot of um like timber framers and other conventional traditional um construction businesses um in the last few years have helped sort of solidify this idea of having a a sort of systems-led facility and in the center of the city ideally you know in the middle of a regeneration space like temple quarter um you know where it could be an active space within a long-term building site so these material flows could be captured and have a space to go so mm-hmm. it would provide that one storage solution it wouldn't satisfy you know kind of around the city we'd need a network of these storage solutions but yeah. ideally it would provide a construction reuse facility that was in a place where there was a high flow or high traffic of materials flying around um, and we could capture those and we could re-channel them into projects like community-led housing projects, like self-builds. Um, but also other small builders might, you know, they're very resourceful mm-hmm. people. Um, so actually knowing that you've got this alternative stock um, and lots of things would still be new products because we're talking also surplus and offcuts. We're not just talking, you know, mm-hmm. sort of what other people might put in a skip of waste. Um, but then we also have... Um, other materials that could maybe be charged there. So I was like, okay, let's let's create a site where you've got a construction reuse facility. What about those materials that maybe can't be used? And how do we kind of take this sort of like workshop, um, you know, sort of what I liked to, and there was an example, um, and it might've been in one of the Richard Sennett books on like the craftsman or, or something okay. like that. And he talked about the Fiat car industry or the Fiat car um, manufacturing process supply chain. Mm. And it was basically lots of specialist manufacturers, kind of workshop based people. And they would be like the best at doing that particular job. And I was like, well, you could have a sort of incubator where you've got a material that can't be reused so maybe it goes out the back door and it goes to a sort of connected factory thing where people can test how to work with it. What mm. could this material become? How could we put it back into the built environment industry? Because as I mentioned, like the built environment industry offers a space for materials to be locked up for quite a long period of time. And so ideally. even if they're yeah. <laughs> ideally, um, you know, has the potential. Yeah. Um, and if we can turn them into back into building products, if we can put more waste back into the building industry used in the correct contexts mm-hmm. or, you know, the best possible context, then, you know, maybe by the time they reach the end of their useful life as that product, we've got a new solution for it, you know, and I'm that this is why I'm really interested in kind of like agile business formats. So you're constantly trying to solve problems, mm-hmm. basically. Um and so there was so there was that part of it and then at the um end of 2021 maybe i might have the wrong year but um the richard um bacon report on self-building custom-led housing um was really eye-opening and he had like four or five kind of top recommendations pretty much number one 
was that we need a sort of European style show park model for the UK. And at that moment, everything made sense. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I was in, in college, um, we learned about um, Factor X, which was sort of the amount of dematerialization each country needs to go through um, to, yeah, to hit this point of, you know, secularity, um, regenerative um, sort of economic um, models. And um, it, it was just like, oh, okay. So I started calling it Project X for a while. That's just like, you know, I want to attach it to that concept. I want to think about this in terms of, you know, the impact of materials across the industry. Mm-hmm. And I am involved in low carbon modular building. Um, I'm, you know, working with kind of regular construction companies, um, looking at materials and, and procurement and stuff. So actually, if I had a space that had a reuse center, what else would I add to it? Like, I could totally have a, a show park, you know, where you could demonstrate because, you know, we, we have these expos, at, you know, um, the XL or the NEC and, and many other places, but they're, they themselves are quite wasteful. You know, mm. you've got these pop-up exhibition stands, the carpets alone, probably. <laughs> oh, the carpets do <laughs> my head in. nightmare. Um, you know, and everything associated, as much as they have reusable elements, just the, the transportation, everything about them. But if you could have more dedicated sites within cities so that each place could start to look at what the skills that and and products and offering was already available regionally and sort of bring that together in one space Mm -hmm. so then you could represent and be agnostic about it so you know i i think we're never going to find one solution that that suits everyone there's so many people that have been you know that are very long in the tooth within their sector or their material palette that you um you need to find the the best solution for them they're not going to like just have a complete u-turn um but there are all sorts of solutions on the table for a for a, a more low carbon um and toward net zero um future um and so having like pitches that you rent so in europe they have these show parks that are kind of like off motorways mm-hmm. and people will go to them because they have a higher percentage of self and custom build in, yes. in places like um germany and and other kind of central european countries of which you know there are many um <laughs> I, don't, I don't know everywhere that has show parks of this particular kind i know that um he visited with the um head of the national self-build association a right. couple of places in germany and a couple of other because the the self-build market in germany is is massive isn't it yeah i believe his percentage it was like over 50 percent um of people have a self or custom built house so yes. custom being you've commissioned a builder to build what you want yeah there's yeah there's definitely a, a slight definition uh confusion there yeah because i think to some people self-build is like i have held the saw yeah to some people it's like we've designed it to some people it's we've built a thing <laughs> like we've had built a thing yeah that's kind of off the shelf but it wasn't there before yeah. so the sort of grand designs definition is very broad yes because um, there's definitely a lot of people who maybe just have a say in how it's does it you know, they tell you what they want to achieve with their home yeah. and then someone comes in and designs it so it's architect and and contractor led but it is custom yeah um and that often yeah it's under that umbrella of self-build 
And yeah, these are like little villages. And so people will wander around. They'll be able to go inside and, and see how these homes are laid out, see what the other options are. So that there'll be a number of models that they can see. They can have conversations with like the salesperson, but yeah, the contracting company. Um, and it basically kind of see homes that are, you know, these are, these are modern standard homes. And we don't have anything equivalent to that. We have um, places like the Swindon Southfield Centre and mm-hmm. then these expos where you can see um, occasionally some modular builds, but there's still quite few and far between and definitely much more of the kind of like large scale um, production. Um, but mostly we're looking at products, mm-hmm. you know, kind of ventilation systems to windows to you know, high-end kitchen installations and things yeah um and you know lots of things in between but yeah what i sort of would love to see and what factory x proposes to to sort of like rent pitches to different organizations and potentially coalitions of natural builders so well you know so you can have sitting alongside a few modular um or volumetric or kit of part companies because i feel like that's that's definitely somewhere where the council and the, and the um, local authority wants to wants to push, mm-hmm. and so that there is support for that in the region. Um, but also to have people who represent, you know, building with local agricultural products and traditional techniques. Um, you know, you mean the the hippies, don't you? <laughs> that I mean, like, I don't know. Hang on, I take that back. You mean. Uh, what would Gervais calls them? The um, the hairy. There's <laughs> <laughs> no, Craig White. Um, he said he wanted his um, deep green and hairy. Yeah. That's, yes. Um, <laughs> like a little a little bit of that, but I think that, like it can be, you know, even those can be finished in such a sort of modern, mm. sleek. Yes, way. not to say rustic and yeah. you know, a bit rubbish. Like um, I mean, what I'd love to see here is like you know like ideally affordable homes the mm-hmm. modern that there was a there was a housing lab built in apan outside of mexico city and um forgive me if i'm saying that totally wrong i don't know how to pronounce it um but yeah they brought together 19 architects from across mexico and responded to sort of four different um uh climate climate areas and designed um a range of like visitable um, buildings that responded to the material palettes of those regions Mm -hmm. and had them all in this housing lab along with a training centre. Looks great. I want to go play there. I so, so (laughs) want to go and visit. Yeah, I don't don't know um, what its kind of like status is at the moment, like how it operates, but certainly like drawing from all these different kind of ideas of what a show park or a innovation centre or a you know, industry hub might look like. Yeah. Bringing them all together mm-hmm. and going, we need a space that is functional. So it's got that material flow into it. Builders can access it. It's got a an operational side, but that also is for visitors so that you can create like show homes and, and spaces, but they all are reflecting a really kind of broad and, and deep range of what's available now and what actually it, does mean to be low carbon mm-hmm. um and so that's represented and then to um alongside that 
put a training facility so that actually the local universities, we've got what, four universities in the region, we've got um, construction colleges um, and construction colleges who actually kind of look, want to be involved with um you know, modern methods of construction and other things. Um, we've got organisations like the Green Register who do training provision in all sorts of spaces um, and have, like, a place that they can call, like, a home or a hub. Mm. Um, and so they can see those buildings being installed. They can We can have them as event days. We can, you know... You and can, when you're training, you can go, and we're doing this, and that's the finished product. It can be used in that way, that way. Yeah. You know, here are four different examples of this thing that we're training you in. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, if we, on this particular example, you know, Factrex could be on a meanwhile use site. So we might have to look at um, temporary foundation systems and actually... Do you want to just explain meanwhile use site? Yes. Um, so in in this particular context, it's we've got a regeneration site that's probably going to be worked on for about 25 years. So you've got buildings that are cleared, sites that are cleared, and then that won't be built on for a number of years. Right. Um, that could be two, it could be five, it could be 20. Um, and so occupying and making use of that site on a sort of temporary basis and through some sort of contract, either with um, landowner or developer. Um, and, you know, sometimes then, meanwhile, use uses can can go on if, mm -hmm. if a program is delayed or a project is delayed um they can feed into things so there's some really lovely examples in bristol actually we've got quite a lot of meanwhile use projects so art space life space they take on buildings that have not yet been demolished or are sort of between um uses yeah and so they create artist studios and, and shared kind of office facilities and things most Recently, they've got the Sparks project on board mm. Mead, um, which I'm also a little bit involved with. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the, you know, a massive department store. So between Marks and Spencer's leaving and whatever it's going to be in the future, they're able to work with, in this case, working with Global Goals Centre to occupy a giant space and find, you know, ways for it to be used and ways for it to be of benefit, you know, so that the council can, you know, say... Look what we yeah. <laughs> supported. <laughs> no one wants just another closed down shop no. on the high street, or it's not really a high street, is it? But no, it's it, yeah, it's a high footfall area. Yes, you know? yeah, um, yeah, and it's fantastic in there. Yeah, uh, sorry if we could take this little tangent for a minute. Um, yeah, I went in there for the first time today. I didn't actually know it existed until I'd seen something you posted, um, and I wasn't entirely clear what Sparks was. And as soon as I saw it from the outside, I was like, oh, I know what this is. <laughs> um, yeah, loads of little independent makers and, well, why am I explaining it? You it's, explain it. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, there's, so there's, it supports the independence. It's also a space for um, organisations within the city. For example, we have a travel agency. So it's a, it remains a department store on the ground floor. Um, and a department store with a difference. Um, so we have the department, the travel agencies, for example, which has got half a first bus in it. Um, and it usually has someone from first bus who talks about local travel and can respond to people's inquiries. We also have Dr. Bike that pops up every Friday in the travel agency area. Um, we've got a department of energy. 
So there's someone from the CSE, um, Centre for Sustainable Energy in Bristol, um, who is there just to talk about energy to people and maybe how you, particularly in this kind of like crisis time, you know, and now we're getting to the point where we need to use our heating more, um, you know, how we keep our bills low. They can talk to people about their concerns and maybe make some suggestions. And then you've got like the ethical gift shop. We've got um, cafe area, vegan cafe now, um, fashion department, which mm-hmm. is, yeah, all independent traders. Nearly and bought some Carhartt dungarees today. Nice. <laughs> yeah, fashion repairs. So they'll do like visible oh. mending um, workshops and, and all sorts. And then over in sort of, we're the horse fair side. Um, so it's kind of, it's got two entrances, which is the really nice thing is because people use Sparks as a cut through. Mm. And nice. as they're cutting through, you're exposing them to like, what's this? Like, and, and just so many things that like, you know, a regular person in Bristol may not have ever come across before. And in the middle of the ground floor, we have um, the Global Goals Centre. So that's an education charity and that's a classroom space, um, and they're educating around the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, and which on which the One City Plan of Bristol is based. Um, and at the moment, every lunchtime, they're showing films in there, so a mixture of um, feature and sustainability films. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm really hoping we can show Sand Wars soon, because I think, particularly for people who work in the building industry, mm. if you've not seen Sand Wars... Um, it's a very eye-opening and distressing, um, but really important yeah. thing to understand. Um, and you can apply that distress and thinking to any material once you've seen that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's great. And then I helped establish the Department of Reuse and Resources. Um, so we set up a repair cafe in that space. So we have Bristol's first city centre repair cafe. And in fact, it was International Repair Day on Saturday. And we did some talks and some demos in there, and it was really lovely. Um, and yeah, we're sort of co-hosting with uh, Emmaus, who have who's a homelessness charity, who have mm-hmm. a reuse shop there. And we have a new department of stories as well. So yeah, it's all. What's the department of stories? It's a bookshop, but it's a it's a queer and feminist bookshop. Nice. Um, and yeah, they're trying to kind of find ways to connect with the other departments. Um, and bring in kind of people who make zines and speakers and do signing days, but use the shop floor rather than kind yeah. of hide those things away in the department. How you kind of use the rest of the shop floor space. But as an example of like meanwhile use space, that's a, a really nice one because that was two organisations coming together. And so Art Space, Life Space are upstairs mm-hmm. uh, with um, Global Goals on the ground floor. And actually thinking about, um, so it, one thing that's really great is that I've, now been um developing my relationship with art space life space who have a massive amount of experience in meanwhile use and as i take that thinking and and that knowledge um and their sort of expertise forward into looking at sites and thinking okay like yeah there's lots of knowledge in the city around how we can um use spaces Mm -hmm. and how we have that conversation with the with those people who are landowners or building owners. Um, and I think, yeah, it's 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 really exciting. And I think the nice thing with Factory X is that it's so scalable. Mm-hmm. So I'd kind of broken it down into three phases. Um, I feel like I've done like all the talking. Do you like insert talking later? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is good. No one wants to hear me talk. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so I kind of broken it down into three phases. Um, the first kind of being establishing a sort of like digital platform and community. Mm-hmm. So what what I think Factory X will really thrive on is the sort of idea that this is a systems and community led um, initiative. I'm not trying to reinvent anything. What I've done through kind of like the last few years is just scanned and scanned everything that's out there and gone. It would be amazing if that came to Bristol. It would be amazing if we could showcase this. It would be amazing if we could take what you've learned and apply that here um, and work with those people to make Mm -hmm. that happen. Um, Also, how you um, frame the space. So I'm calling it a low carbon, you know, construction um, show park. Uh, Again, this this has been a hard one to um, pin down what I'm calling it, (laughs) Um, but loosely a low carbon construction show park. Um, And I was trying to like fit a low carbon construction show park and operational space, you know, like taking it away from just being a show part to like making sure that people know this is a functional yeah. entity. Um, and that, uh, that will, that will come into the title when I finally figure out exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, show parks seems quite empty, doesn't it? Quite. Yeah. I wanted to use it because it, um, aligned with, you know, a, a piece of work that had been commissioned by the government, mm. um, and was a top recommendation. So I'm like, if I call it a show park, it's I directly feel like linked. Yeah, that I I'm tapping into what what he was saying we needed, mm-hmm. um, and there definitely is an element of of show park about it. But I think actually what the the important bit now is to build that community of people who want to be involved in the space, and so to kind of build this um, this this coalition of organisations to build this community, and for the next kind of few months define what I mean by low carbon and define what we mean by low carbon. Because mm-hmm. also if you're trying to be agnostic about solutions, there's a lot of people who work in the industry who are like, you know, we should stop using this material. We should definitely not do any of this, or this is the way forward. You know, everything should be timber. And as much as um, I'm not going to argue with any of this, those people, I think, you know, we need to find a, a balance. And so actually trying to find a definition that helps create a community in which they feel comfortable, mm-hmm. but they also feel comfortable sharing that space with someone who's on a different end of the spectrum, but is also working towards a future where we are using less intensive materials, we are creating less impact, and we are making the most of the material flows around us. I think it's like finding that um, mutual space, mm-hmm. and um, and that will help me probably define m- more what Factory X is called. <laughs> Factory X, full stop. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, first phase is, is building that community and the sort of bringing in um, a digital element, which I think at this stage is looking like the excess materials exchange. Mm-hmm. And this is a Dutch model that has been piloted in Meridian Water with Enfield Council. And more recently in Northern Ireland, um, they've done their second pilot. And they are looking... You know, they were calling out for places who were interested in helping them scale um, and helping them duplicate that model um, across the UK. And so, yeah, we're sort of in discussions about what that might look like um, in Bristol. But it is a digital platform and it's a 
what I really like about it is that it's industry focused and a lot of what we have now, um, if it is building focused like Salvo or, or sort of that equivalent, it is, it feels like, it, you know, it's very DIY, maybe like it's serving a, a, a lot of different markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got kind of Gumtree and Facebook Marketplace, which is very much kind of like any user. But the excess material exchange and partly because of how it's been used so far in the UK feels like you could get developers involved with it. It feels like a place where if you were a builder and you needed and you wanted to incorporate or your client was interested in incorporating secondary materials, mm-hmm. this is a place that you would use comfortably. And is this um, sort of, so it's a directory of, uh, or it's listings yeah. of excess materials that people are selling or... Um, I believe at the moment it's an exchange space, so I don't know that any money changes hands. There's certainly n- no money involved with the excess material exchange, but uh-huh. I, I'm in this sort of early days with our conversation, so yeah, we'd need to find out more about that. But what is um, what is nice is that you can be on there as an organisation or as a project. So if you had a particular site that you were working on, it could you could list everything that was available at that site. Mm. Or if you had several sites, I think you can list yourself as, you know, your construction name and then all the products that you have. And what they're looking at now, which is really exciting, is the um, sort of the digital overlap with that. I mean, it's the digital platform, but actually using these, um, you know, AI and um, volumetric capture 360 cameras to go in and, and scan buildings. Right. And, you know, for me, building out, like having Factory X as like a, a crucible of circular economy thinking and practice and how that can like build up um, and increase in sort of like momentum and volume across the city. So using things like this where you go into a building that's going to come down in, you know, six months or something, you go in there, you scan it and you tag up all the items. So actually someone's like, I'm looking for fire doors. They see a listing, they go in there, they can move around the model or they can visit the physical building. They'll go, I'll take all your fire doors, but actually while they're in there and they see all these other items. Mm -hmm. And when you tag them, you can add a lot of information. So you're starting to look at material passports, which is essentially a, a sort of, um, a sort of data tag that you can attach to a physical product that contains things from like the chemical makeup of a material. If you're sort of, if this is a new product, especially you'll, you'll look at that side of things, but it will have its dimensions, its application, whether it's got warranties, you know, they'll have um, the useful information that you'd want. (laughs) So uh, sort of in the example of a, a fire door, like if, say the regulations change in, you know, 2001 or something. It's like, you know, this is, this door does this thing to this standard, you know, you can put it in your new building knowing that it's going to satisfy all of the things. Yeah, Uh, which is probably a fairly unlikely situation. Um, But you can obviously apply all the information you know about the fire door and you can also say, you know, it's unlikely that this could be used as a fire door. But in the example of um, the Canada Water Development, so Global Generation, who are a community garden. Um, so they've set up a number of community gardens in London, um, starting in King's Cross. And they basically work with developers to take the waste 
to build the garden space. Um, and then they are also meanwhile projects. So, you know, learning from, from their experience as well. They've got a project in Canada Water at the moment called the Paper Garden, which is based in the an old Daily Mail print shed, storage shed. And they took half the roof off and have done the community garden and then the other part is the classroom. And so they've worked with um, British Land who have been managing a number of contracts um, and the local developers who are building on the land around that site. Um, and yeah, there's some really interesting buildings there. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but actually there was also a, a building that was being um, regenerated or deep, deep refurbishment and all the fire doors came out. And do you know what they did with those fire doors? Flooring. So in the classroom, Ooh. I went in for one visit and all the joists were down and they were saying, we're going to bring in these fire doors. The next time I went there, all the fire doors were down and you can see the holes where the furniture went in the floor. Yeah. And then my last visit, it just looked like new flooring. Like they'd filled in all the holes and it all been sanded down. Oh. What what a use of... Because they're, they're solid timber, aren't yeah. they, those doors? Yeah, I mean, amazing. Um and that, that saving on that giant floor that they needed to put in, really good use of that material, like really sturdy. Um, and also not something that really um, stretched anyone's minds too much. Mm. I mean, it, it was suitable for the application they wanted and it could be laid very easily. And the only thing they needed to do was, you know, the finishing. And a door, is, in some ways, it's probably easier. Door takes up a lot of area, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a great thing. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I've, I'm, I've sort of got conversations going with with those people, and um, and what I'm really hoping to do is invite a lot of these different groups who have got experience not only around um, utilizing and and setting up local secondary material sort of flows. Um, but also around the contracts. Mm -hmm. So how did that work contractually? How did that work with your engineers? How were they on board with this? Um, how did that work with the client? Um, and some of the questions that will, uh, you know, are about to, uh, um, about to arise, like around warranty and insurances. Mm. Um, so they've got, and they've built up a massive amount of knowledge in this area. So actually bringing them into this conversation and, and working with them to help shape what this looks like as well um and hopefully yeah using it to attract you know more interest from people maybe have like a conference with them that'd be nice nice a bit of a summit yeah oh, love a summit <laughs> <laughs> um i get what's come into my head a little bit is uh so up to now it seemed like uh the reusing of material has been very sort of low or sort of grassroots in like lots of permaculture people have, you know, built their shed from all the little bits they found. And it's always, it, they always look a bit shabby. Yeah. Uh, and I think that puts a lot of people off. And so this all seems very much like a, you know, it feels very proper. Yeah. And talking to a completely different group of people to be used in a different way yes i agree i think that um and i think it's um a necessary step um i think you know a whole circular economy is is a really big transition 
Um, and I think it's all doable with the right infrastructure. And when I talk about infrastructure, I'm not just talking, you know, physical spaces or, um, you know, specific parts of the industry, but also the training and skills provision, um, you know, how we talk about it to communities, like what things like repair cafes, how like mm. how we Im- embed those kind of, you know, cultures, which actually when we talk about secondary material markets, you know, like they've been around for such a long time. There was just a blip where we lost them mm. or we lost familiarity with them and how they worked. And then we lost all confidence in, you know, using secondary materials. And it's it's crazy how short that blip was in the sort of like history of, of time of communities and building and yes. all these things. So it's, you know, it's so possible to get it back. And there's still people who, who were involved in those secondary material industries. So, you know, um, so it, you know, for me, it feels like it, it's not too hard to get back to there. Um, it just requires a lot of the right conversations and the mm-hmm. right people to, um, to help move it. Um, and that's what I'm really interested in, in helping manifest, I think. Um, but yeah, like making it um, feel professional is, is part of that. Um, you know, I think that there's there's so much with, um, I'm not going to get into retrofit because it's such a massive subject, but there is going to be so many materials and um, mechanical systems and, and other systems that come out of deep refurbishments, commercial refurbishments and domestic retrofit. It's going to be, it's going to be generating a terrifying amount of material. Mm. So we need spaces and different thinking to help us because I mean I go to retrofit events quite frequently um because I'm interested in that space and going through a retrofit but through a retrofit myself um but no one is talking about materials out it's either about how we do it how we deliver it and the skills needed or materials in mm-hmm. like there's just nothing around materials out so I'm championing that cause um I think it I think it needs to be brought into the conversation um but there are loads of manufacturers who are now looking at service options instead of just selling things and that's particularly around like raised to access flooring um lighting systems um yeah some of the you know extended like manufacturing warranties and you know there's loads of mechanisms for it to happen Mm -hmm. um it just needs to happen more and more widely so yeah I, I have a certain degree of confidence um I'm definitely a possibilist mm-hmm. um I think actually that I decided that after reading Flourish okay yeah, yeah. um which is an amazing book I had it on audio audio and I do my yoga and listen to Flourish and feel really like yeah afterwards it's like yeah you're like you're like oh god things are terrible but yeah I can <laughs> I can do this this is Who, like who's you Flourish know, by um michael paulin and sarah someone i'll put a link in the show notes yeah always Uh, (laughs) do do you know what i've been sat listening to this conversation being like i've got so much work ahead of me with the show notes for this one (laughs) it's like a million things i'm gonna link to i got a lot of links i can send you yeah um (laughs) always yeah um but yeah they they talk about the the idea of being a possibilist Mm. um in there and I I really like it because I think all the solutions are out there and there's loads of people capable of developing even better solutions um it just requires a whole heap of 
us to help move it along. You know? Yeah. Brilliant. This, uh, yeah. This is a very good thing for me to hear right now. I've been, you know, when you're just overwhelmed with the, the badness and how things seem to be going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been getting me down. Yeah, uh, I think it's yeah, and there and there and there is so much, and then you know you might read a positive thing, but then the next thing is like, oh. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think that, um, like I said to you when we were chatting earlier, I've had kind of three weeks of um, workshops and events which have really buoyed me. But mm. I think the whole of this year, just kind of talking about what Factory X could be, and having so many people respond really positively to it um that you know i know the appetite's there mm. and i know that yeah like yeah I see all these different things and i know people are trying to do the right thing and i think sometimes it's just not framed quite correctly um but yeah i feel like i'm part of something quite big um and yeah just like i've been having so many kind of positive conversations that is helping me to stay above you know the other <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe the, the constant skips i see that i'm always taking pictures of that just make me feel really sad <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that's that's an interesting thought of just the photos that we all have of our little nerd outs <laughs> like my collection of photos of walls that have been repointed with cement and then it's blown out the bricks and now all the that's left is the repointing. I've got loads of those. It's so funny, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah. probably comparable to your your skip skip album. <laughs> I feel like I uh, I mean I've been wanting to do a zine for ages. I set up um, a not for profit which I which is kind of how I'm operating in Sparks um, called No Small Thing, mm -hmm. um, which very nicely kind of represents what we're talking about being part of something that that can actually have a lot of traction and, and make a bigger difference. Um, but it was really to satiate my desire to um, have a comic strip. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I worked with an illustrator to do me like a whole kind of a few stock images. Um, so there's like um, a character in it. And um, yeah. And then we did like a deforestation scene and a landfill scene. And um, I was like, I need to have a skip. I need to have a skip that's like empty and a skip that's full. And, um, you know, I feel like I could add a lot to this skips, but now I'm thinking of different ways I can use all my skip images. <laughs> <laughs> it was all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than it just eating up a lot of data. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll set myself a personal challenge of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you need to reuse something. your skip photo. Yeah. yeah. That's the first reuse project. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely high priority, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so where are you in the the Factory X journey? So, I have been pitching it for about let's say a year mm -hmm. um, to lots of different entities from. Um, sort of modular housing companies to Bristol Housing Festival to representatives from the council to um, chat to the, the green building store and people at the swim themselves. But, you know, part, partly it's getting the conversation out there and mm -hmm. looking for people who might want to be part of it and, and partner with me um, to now this new conversation with the Excess Materials Exchange. 
um, to kind of pick up this digital element. Um, and I guess the conversation with the council is really around the meanwhile use of, of site um, land for storage. Um, and there's a couple of developers um, who I've started conversations with who have bigger projects in the city, but they have workshops that um, are sort of part of a site, but that won't be developed for some time. Right. And they could be potentially, you know, um, starting off, you know, Factrix kind of small. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't it's, it's definitely at the moment, it's more about building that community, getting that definition, finding that way for everybody to feel comfortable mm-hmm. working together towards this shared agenda. Um, and all the time just trying to find myself the perfect site even yeah. if it's like you know for five years seven years um like i think that global generation and, and their projects have really shown that that seven year sort of model can do absolute wonders mm. um so i know those spaces are available so now it's really kind of picking up the pace on getting one um yeah and i think like just to sort of on, on that bit, I think we're all really familiar with those sites that you walk around your, your town or your city or wherever and see those sites that have got a fence around and they've been cleared, but there's this giant pile of brick rubble on it. Um, Assemble, um, the London-based architecture practice and designers and architects um, and artists did this really amazing project called um, Otto, um, okay. Otto Project. And I don't know whereabouts in London it was. I should know because I look at it all the time. <laughs> but essentially they, they had a site available to them um, that was full of rubble and they sacked it all up in, into sort of um, bags and like pillow-sized bags and built a building out of them like right. they were blocks. Wow. Yeah. Um, sort of like earth bag but rubble. Yeah, yeah. And essentially that rubble then is super available for... Yeah next use it could even be reassembled into other sort of buildings but then they put a trust roof on top and it was an event space for some period of time brilliant absolutely brilliant that's fantastic you know? um and you think about the kind of sites where that those rubble piles sit for such a long period of time if you could then make your distributed storage spaces on those sites so i think actually there's so many conversations that could be had it's really for me now bringing together these organisations, these groups who have had the experience, who have tried different things and try and get as many people into that conversation as possible Mm. and just show them all these like really inspirational (laughs) projects that are like happening. They're they're really easy to do. Like they're not complicated. You get the right engineer and the right, you know, Mm. person to sign off on it um, who kind of has, you know, some understanding around it. Um, yeah, I, I don't see why, like, and I think there's probably a lot of people who would like to see something happen with their sites. Um, Definitely. You know, especially if it involved some income to them, you know, better if it didn't, because then we wouldn't have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, if they, if it can create an income for them, then there's more incentive. It's the incentive, yeah. If opens you up more, more bits of land, doesn't yeah. it? So. And, and some of those sites are for you know affordable housing or social housing projects and so actually they should have additional incentive of doing something that is for community good um, mm. or that can you know go to the the benefit of like wider society and these kind of new economic systems yeah 
I mean, they, the, the bit of land, I know you've got your eye on, I don't know, have you got your eye on it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's actually uh, a plot that I used to uh, walk past every day on the way to my studio. And yeah, do you want to tell us like why, why it's a good... Yeah, so, um, so the Temple Quarter area, um, as I mentioned, is like earmarked for a mixed-use regeneration over, you know, a 25-year-plus period of time. Um, it is right behind Temple Meads Station. Um, it's it's an area that is St Philip's Marsh, so it's mixed sort of industrial use. Um, and parts of it have, have been kind of dilapidated and, and hmm. vacant for quite a long time. And I think those are the sites that are moving um, forward more quickly. Um, but essentially... A lot of those, the area is mainly used by industry. There's some residential cut-throughs and bits and pieces. But this particular road is, is like a dead end. Um, it's also slightly out of the way, but it's in the middle of the regeneration area. Um, so I feel like in terms of like traffic conflict, it's thinking about like the best kind of sites that you could have to make this a functional model. So it's walkable. Mm -hmm. It's on a cycle path. It's close to the station. It's actually close to a community. So it's close to Button Hill and Lawrence Hill. Um, and that means that you can build those community ties. You can, you know, make roles available in this space, you know, make it feel like somewhere that they can come to. Like, otherwise it's a giant building site and is eventually going to be um, tower blocks. So, mm. you know, if something can kind of help integrate what's happening within the regeneration area, which is just a bridge away, um, you know, literally under the bridge and then you're in Button Hill. Mm -hmm. um, it's just such a, um, a great site. It's next to um, the river um, or the, the feeder canal. So you can also start to think about how you would govern the transformation of this site using kind of permaculture, permaculture principles. Um, so being very cautious about like the movement of materials and and runoff from from different building practices and sharing that too mm -hmm. um i think it's just it it's such a sort of it's, yeah it just it's like the last building it's the last site on on that road um so you know traffic conflict is is totally kind of reduced um it's really visible, like it's just below the flyover, so could, people could see what was happening inside it. Mm. Um, yeah, like I say, it's on a cycle path. It's on a walk through to um, Barton Hill. Um, it's got a kind of slope. It kind of is naturally um, divided into a few sections. Um, it did have a warehouse, which also would have been perfect for the reuse centre, but the warehouse has come down. And it does have a giant pile of rubble in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> I like that. I like that so much that that bagging up the rubble. Uh it reminds me of uh there was a story about I think NASA held a competition on how would we build on the moon. And all these people entered saying like we'd send up all these trusses in rockets and stuff. And it was the guy from Cal Earth. I don't know if you know those, like Earth Bag Building in California, who said well, I'd just send up loads of bags and we'd use all the rock that the moon's made of and we'd make that. It's like, you know, don't spend lots of rocket fuel sending up really heavy things. 
it's like really minimum interaction with using the abundant resource yeah it, it makes me so happy to know that they've done that yeah yeah oh it's great i love sharing that project um, <laughs> yeah and get them along as well to the summit yeah <laughs> <laughs> how how would you get that site um i mean i've tried to find out who it's owned by mm. um the signage was very confusing mm-hmm. um probably and, deliberately so <laughs> probably deliberately so indeed um i have looked on a couple of sort of land ownership sites but um i guess because i was still in the development of the the, the theory and the sort of like how factory x and i was kind of building the pitch at the time mm-hmm. um at the same time that i saw this site i haven't devoted a huge amount of time to investigating um further but yeah jeff generally that's where this conversation with the council is sort of going yeah now um and actually through the future of construction boot camps we did we do site visits and our last site visit um was temple quarter because uh, i couldn't not um <laughs> and uh we we were working with the temple quarter regeneration team so it's it's really been talking to them about, you know, how do I find out this next step? So I've, yeah, I'm just, I'm having those conversations with them. Um, yeah, I was a bit disheartened when I saw that so much work had happened on it. But actually, that doesn't, like I said earlier, with these meanwhile spaces, a lot of time, you know, there might be blanket clearance mm. and nothing happens then for some time. And because I think I understand the, um, the, the proposed scheme. Yeah. Um, that I don't, it, you know, it looks like residential um, towers in that space and that really won't happen until there is more sort of general infrastructure um, and sort of Yeah, there's not facilities. really anything there, is there? No. Um, so I don't think, yeah, so I think it is, but it's still a conversation that's on the table. I sort of want to create a, a like a call to action. Yeah, getting people to get in contact with you and uh, who do you want to hear from? How do you want to hear from them? Yeah, so I think um, from from each of the different kind of stakeholder groups, really, I'm interested in in hearing expressions of interest. I guess understanding how people feel that they could participate or what they'd want from a site or a project like Factory X, and so that could be, um, you know, if you're a, a low carbon house builder of any kind mm, um, the spectrum yeah like would you be interested in having a pitch on on factory x having a show home there um definitely want to hear from you because like helping to shape that offer um and how that would would work um how, how we would make that viable for people mm-hmm. um is really really important um if you have experience of um you know using second secondary markets um i think that's also a really interesting conversation because i think that's the bit that needs to come first um and yeah i mean if you're a bristol-based builder and this is something or a developer and this is something you're looking for like for me to build that evidence base and use that to kind of you know, get investment for the project or to sell the idea to the council and say, this is really, really needed. And look how many people are asking for this. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's also really critical. And if you're a landowner and you own that site. <laughs> that's the dream. <laughs> or any site in that area. Um, yeah, I'm interested. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, just having more conversations with people who are, 
you know, particularly interested in any of the aspects that we've talked about with Factory X. Um, really happy to sort of explore them as expressions of interest and, um, yeah, and sort of future things that might want to be built into the model. Responding to demand, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and how do people get in contact? Um, so I'm in the process of building a Factory X landing page, which Ooh. will have a button that you can connect with me on. Um, but you can also contact me um, on my um, Materials in Mind um, site um, or just hello at materialsinmind.org. Nice. Um, is there more? Also on LinkedIn. Also on LinkedIn, yes. I always feel weird contacting people on LinkedIn. It doesn't feel like my natural... No, home. <laughs> no. I found it really useful this year. It's it's very interesting because um, LinkedIn is is very echo chambery mm. once you are connected with all the people. But actually, I wouldn't know about all these projects if I wasn't on there. It's been a really, really useful thing. But a, a, a bit of advice for people using LinkedIn: don't just get connections because you want more connections. Like focus on who you want to be connected with the type mm. of industry and the type of roles that people have because they're the people that will share the most useful information otherwise you've got to scroll through complete you know irrelevant stuff um and i feel like this year i've really nailed linkedin yeah um, i just i'm just sort of being you are linkedin being, i am LinkedIn. <laughs> i totally am yeah <laughs> i'm being fed um constantly really interesting um and useful stuff Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss all right thank you jenny that was so great i'm so excited about factory x just so excited to dig into loads more of those things we talked about. Uh, I did want to say that when we were talking about the hairy, uh, Gervais's hairy building and Craig White's dark green and hairy, I think I wanted to clarify what I meant there. Um, I didn't want it to sound derogatory. Um, and it's actually kind of tied into what I've been thinking about quite a lot recently about my own work. And that is uh, the difference between what you might call a craft builder and maybe a more conventional builder. And the craft builder, I think, works more with materials than with products. Um, so it might be a straw bale builder or someone who is making uh, clay panels kind of 
in a one-off way, making their own products in, in a sort of way. Yeah, the, the results might be no less beautiful, uh, often quite the opposite, um, but just sort of achieved in a maybe a less scalable manner or less instantly scalable manner. Um, so that's what I meant by that. And hopefully I've dug myself out of that. I more often than not put myself in that craft building category. Well, else to say, oh yes, if this conversation went on for another 20 minutes where we chatted through hemp and retrofits and the RSA and strokeable lime plastered walls, if you'd like to hear that, then you can do so at patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. That is where you can support the podcast and as a reward, get bonus little bits of conversations that didn't quite fit into the episode. So get on over there for over 10 hours of bonus content. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning that there will be lots of links in the show notes. Uh, I'll just run through those. Uh, so Materials in Mind, which is Jenny's company, Tiny Homes Community Bristol, the Reuse Summit, uh, Letty Circular Economy Statement. Uh, there's two links to books by Richard Sennett. There's The Craftsman and Building and Dwelling Ethics for the City. Uh, there's the APAN Housing Lab, uh, the Green Register, who are great, based in Bristol. Um, we actually had Lucy Peddler from the Green Register on the podcast way back on episode 12, I think. I've linked to that episode as well. There's a link to Art Space, Life Space, Sparks Bristol, Global Goal Centre. Uh, there's also a link to the Sand Wars film. Also a link to the episode of this podcast with Kieran Pereira, uh, where we talk about her book, Sand Stories. There is a link to the Excess Material Exchange, the Paper Garden Project. Uh, there's the book, Flourish. Uh, there's No Small Thing, which was the cartoon project. The Assemble Studio Otto project. Uh, I realise actually that's something I've seen before um, and I'd completely forgotten about it. Um, so link to that. And there's also a link to the Cala Earth website with a bit about the, uh, the NASA project. Okay, I think that is everything from me. A reminder of that competition going on at the Netcom Craft School. Head on over to Netcom Craft School Instagram to be part of that. And otherwise... I hope you're doing really well and I look forward to coming back in a couple of weeks with a really fantastic episode all about building with cork. All right then, until next time. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.